You are listening to a podcast from Backstage on the Fringe.com. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. In this episode, I spoke to Simon Evans and David Aula about the two shows they've brought to Edinburgh this year, The Vanishing Man and The Extinction Event. The two shows, taking place within 30 minutes of each other in different venues, blend magic and theatre to create something I was genuinely surprised and intrigued by. So I'm David Aula. And I'm Simon Evans. And we're presenting The Vanishing Man. And then after that, it's the Extinction Event. Guys, thank you so much for talking to Backstage on the Fringe. I I want to jump right in because I've got lots to ask you about these two shows. And it is unusual to have two shows so close together, Mm -hmm. both in terms of how little time you have between them. Give me a summary of The Vanishing Man and The Extinction Event. I take, I'll take Vanishing Man, shall I? Sure. I mean, both, both shows are about the nature of magic. Magic is sort of trickery and, and what's real and what we choose to believe. And so The Vanishing Man tells the story of two friends, me and David, trying to investigate a famous magical legend. There was a magician called Hugo Cedar who stood on London Bridge in 1930 and apparently completely disappeared. We've got a sort of handful of eyewitness testimonies that say he was there one second, then just gone the next. And so the two of us try to teach the audience a little bit about how magical effects work and how the nature of belief works and see if collectively we can replicate that effect or try to deconstruct, rebuild that effect with the help of, with the help of them. And the extinction event is about what will happen in the not-too-distant future when artificial intelligence will mean that magic is real for all of us. Um, And it's also about what happens when your assistants someday become your masters. Um, In that uh, that show, we we build on the relationship that... uh, that David and Simon, uh, as the characters rather than ourselves, I suppose, uh, have in The Vanishing Man and um, and work on the connection between programming a computer and programming a human mind. And at the end of it, if all goes well, and sometimes it, it doesn't, it smarts a bit, um, I catch a bullet in my mouth. I have been to see both shows, one of them twice. Um, I was hugely impressed uh, by both. Although they are very different shows, there's a connection between the two. Tell me about the audience reaction to both these pieces. That's a good question. I mean, I think that The Vanishing Man now is a show that's a little bit more set. So we sort of try to shy away a little bit from the idea of audience involvement, but we do use audiences in quite a unique way in both shows. And because The Vanishing Man has been a bit more tried and tested, I think we are in slightly more control, I suppose. Of where well, we're, we're, we're more familiar with yeah. how with how people respond to the certain challenges that we <laughs> throw yeah. at them, but it's but but it's there is a lot of I hope fairly accomplished magic in there as well, which means that we allow an audience to respond to that and to enjoy that just as it is as a magical effect. Then we might undermine it or subvert it in some way and explain to them a little bit about how that works or ask them to engage their minds in thinking analytically about how it might work. So their reactions are. We hope we keep them just discombobulated enough throughout this. One of the things that's interesting about The Vanishing Man is that we um, uh, we first created The Vanishing Man in uh, 2015, end of 2015, um, and have it's been on tour, it's been to the Vault Festival, it's it's been lots of various different performances here and there, and we found actually that at its most comfortable it runs at uh, one hour and 45 minutes, and then with an interval as well. And so getting it down to an hour for this has been an interesting experience, and one of the anxieties early on was that we... 
you know, as you know, there's a quite a, a shift in the uh, tone of the, the narrative. Um, and particularly for me, who kind of drives that shift, I was a bit worried early on that it was too too quick. It was too too much at a, a sort of handbrake turn. Um, but I think as we become more comfortable, we're finding the ways to sort of help people into that, ease people into that, rather than it be or, or to enjoy the the yeah. ride of the <laughs> of the handbrake turn. This isn't a magic show, though. No, no, it's a show about magic. I think, but I suppose the Vanishing Man is a, a, is a more recognisable form in terms of the idea of what we think of as classical magical shows. I mean, it's about an Edwardian magician. We're talking about the sort of 1930s. We mention, we name-check the Houdinis and the Jasper Masculines and those various other magicians from the heyday of magic. So it is a world that you're walking into, and that, you know, I won't give it away, but the sort of opening image as you come into the theatre, I think, is quite... It's not stereotypical. Other journalists have given that away, if I you want to do your research yes, podcast. It's, but it's, but it's, <laughs> it's up there. Um, so I think people can come to that with them, and it, and it opens with... It opens with sort of top hats and card work and things like that. So I think people in that one can go, they're, they're sort of slid into the fact that it's not a magic show a little bit, a little bit, I hope, nimbly. Whereas the Extinction event, I think, from the word go, there's, there's, because it's about the future and because we're trying to take those similar ideas and explore something more hypothetical, mm-hmm. more conjectural, I suppose, then that one, that one doesn't feel like a magic show at the beginning, even though we actually talk about magic early on, perhaps a little more. Yeah, uh, might be jumping the gun a little bit on your on your questions, but I guess it, it, the way that the shows came about um, goes some way to explaining why they're not a magic show, um, which was that uh, Simon had directed a, a show at the Unicorn Theatre, which is the um, uh, leading theatre for for young people in in the UK and in, in London um, and uh, that went very well for you and they offered you a, uh, a research and development slot in the um, in the studio there and we thought or you thought you might do a development of your one-man show that explains magic actually, 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 we should we should go back even further which is that I, I have been a magician for about 25 years sort of won a, clo- a couple of close-up magician awards and have spent a lot of time doing it over the past 20 years and I'm also the magical consultant for the National Theatre and for the Donmar Warehouse and things like that. So magic has been a part of my life for a long time and I sort of got a little disenfranchised by the idea of just standing in front of people and going here are tricks. I just felt like that was a form that I I couldn't see anything. I mean it it was a nice way to earn a bit of money and you know certainly doing it is is a sort of an adrenaline rush but what you can do with an audience with a magic show, I think, is very different. So, yeah, I came up with a show called The Lecture on Misdirection, which was a one-man show just about how, how magic works because the audience sort of want it to. Uh, they, they, they form a relationship with the magician that goes, we know that you will lie to us, but we're okay with that for a bit because that might give us an enjoyable evening. And Dave saw that, and, um, and we had a bit of a chat after that, didn't we? And David, whose sort of theatrical brain dwarfs mine, was sort of able to go well, we could take those similar ideas and tie it together. So when the unicorn then said, do you want to come and spend some time developing it? I grabbed you, didn't I? <laughs> come on, make me look good. And the idea was I was going to direct you in a one-man show, and I think by the end of the first day, we'd read something about, <laughs> we'd read something about the greatest assistant to a magician should look like they couldn't do a magic trick to save their life. And I thought, well, hang on, you've got a great candidate here. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was in it. Actually, a leggy blonde. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's false advertising, I think, isn't it? What, what, one of the things I've been struck by seeing the show was that when you go and see a play and there's a drama or a comedy or whatever, I don't leave that show with people then 
picking parts of it apart to figure mm. out how certain effects were achieved because uh, you have an emotional response to a piece of theatre. But when I left both of your shows, <laughs> groups of people were dissecting it and thinking they either knew how they, it had been done mm-hmm. or there was another group who just accepted the kind of the joyousness of, I don't know how they did that, wasn't that fantastic. Mm. Why do you think people are much more willing to try and dissect what you do rather than perhaps a straightforward one-hour drama or comedy? Well, I, I think a, a magician or anybody performing magic does establish immediately a relationship with an audience based on a hierarchy of knowledge, if that's a phrase. A magician comes out on stage and does say, I know something that you don't know. I will perform something which you... There, there is automatically a combative relationship there that the really good magicians find ways of... I mean, if we look at who is really leading the world and people like Darren Brown at the moment, are magicians who don't form that sort of combative relationship. Instead, they sort of say, between us we will accomplish something miraculous. And, and, it, and it disarms an audience. I think they don't want to pull things apart. And they start to treat the whole thing like a symbiotic story much more than they do something to be decoded. And, and I guess in, in theatre, you're asking people to s- suspend their disbelief. Uh, and then so r- early on, it, people just know that it's not, uh, you know, they're, they're not on the, on the moors. <laughs> you know, they know it's a set. They know it's a set. Um, and that's how they enter into it. What we're doing with what, what magicians do, but also what we're doing with bells on is, is going, you can suspend your disbelief sometimes, but also look, I can show you that even if you hadn't, you, yeah. you we, we are presenting them with some, st- well, we're playing a lot with the idea of reality of what is true and what is not. And, you know, if we're successful, people ought to leave with a real, uh, a real, sense of debate about what have we told them that is true and what is what if anything is a lie um when we were making the extinction event that was the bit that we really struggled with because i mean interestingly there's actually much more data behind the extinction event in terms of the the books about what artificial intelligence will do and the sort of effects that might be uh, achievable in not too distant future um but we, we did an early version of the Extinction Event that's completely different. Nothing remains from it. We, at the Vault Festival called Vanishing Mankind. Uh, we had to change the name because people keep thinking <laughs> thinking it was Vanishing Man. Um, and, um, uh, and, and the thing we struggled with there was what's brilliant about the Vanishing Man for me is that there's a sense of which people, the story that is told between the two of us um, has this real sense of reality to it so that um, an audience goes away with an emotional reality. Um, and it was quite, that's quite difficult to convince people of something in the future that could have an emotional reality. Um, and I, it's why I find there's a particular line at the end of the Extinction event where I, I say, of course I'm not X. <laughs> I won't reveal what it is, um, which I find very satisfying because it... it, it um, brings back that reality for people. And so you, you could watch both these shows. You could watch both these shows and think they're just a play that's made up, or you could watch them both and go, every single thing we say is true, which is good. I, I, th- I think there's, I mean, all of that is, is, is spot on. And the emotion, I think, that we try to... It's the emotional level of the shows and the, the fact that the, the shows are also pieces of storytelling in addition to just shows that include magic that we hope engages people in an emotional Level. In fact, one of the tricks we use fairly close to the end of The Vanishing Man is a sort of hang-up from a trick I did years and years ago where 
I, again, I won't explain the effect, but I was I was having real trouble when I used to perform it because it wasn't getting the reaction that I thought it would. I, mm -hmm. I thought this was, when I first saw it, I thought this is amazing. Then when I learned it, I thought this will really bring the house down. And it never did. And it was only when I attached it to an incredibly simple emotional story that meant that what happened at the end was a reward for the audience in yeah. that they had decided yeah. to suspend their disbelief. They had gone along on this journey. They'd laughed to begin with because the story was so silly. Then they'd gone, okay, well, we'll go along with it for a little bit and we'll, we'll treat it like it's real. Then at the end, something happened which suggested that it was and that their, their belief in it had been rewarded. And that got a really wonderful response. And I think that's, that's again, part of, the, part of the fun of working with magic like this, that there are those people, of course, there will always be those people who go, well, let's be nitty picky and try to work out how this thing is done. But I think if you can... The more you can suspend, the more you might then at the end get something. I mean, Absolutely. we won't let you go away. Yeah. We won't let you leave believing it's, well, we won't, maybe. Um, and I think it's for the people who do want to unpick, you know, some people can't enjoy it without knowing. And, you know, there's a little something for those people as well. We certainly tell, tell, tell people how some of the effects are achieved. And we're being completely honest when we tell them yeah, that. We, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yep, completely. Yeah, nothing to say. <laughs> I... Um, in a traditional one-hour fringe show, there's a moment when the lights go down, we all think, right, here we go. Mm -hmm. And we sit there, we watch a show for an hour, we might laugh. Depending on the type of show, we may applaud. In both of these shows, there are moments where all of that stuff is mixed up. You don't get to sit quietly and passively as an audience member. How do you guys pick who's going to get involved? Well, I hope that Simon picks wisely. <laughs> Some of them. Um, you can tell, can't you? What, what, what I will say is about the opening image, without giving too much away again, but the opening image, <laughs> in that moment, David is fully able to see the entire audience, and I am not. And then I have to turn around in a second and pick somebody who's going to end up being quite important, right. just on a... Yep, you. Um, yeah, it's funny, actually... There's actually quite a lot of it which is now geographical, yeah, <laughs> which is sort of, you know, we know in terms of our blocking kind of that we want someone broadly in that area. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. And we kind of know broadly if it wants to be a, a man or a woman, although actually we quite often have men playing yeah. female parts and the other way around. Um, uh, the um, that For me, as I'm watching people coming in, I'm making eye contact with people as they come in. It's quite an interesting experience for me as, as I'm there in my, well, I don't know why we've been quite so mysterious about this image. Uh, um, so I'm standing in, on top of a grand piano in full Edwardian um, uh, magician's outfit. And I smile, I look people directly in the eye, eye and I smile at them as they, as they come in. Uh, and I can tell an awful lot from how someone responds to just meeting my eye and whether they smile back or if they sort of suddenly freak out. Some people completely freak out by the idea that I can see them, which I always think, I'd, I'd always like to remind people generally in the theater that they can be seen from the stage, <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, there's a sense of of kind of open. If people are open, um, but then equally as well, like I chose someone the other day who was clearly there was a school group in, and they were all wearing the same t-shirts for the show they were doing, and there was someone who was clearly the teacher, and I thought, well, it's going to entertain that you know this is quite. Um, this is asking quite a lot in terms of narrative from these kids who were probably, what, 12, 11, 12, younger. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to get their teacher involved because that will just be fun for them. And actually, you know, I might not have chosen him for just him himself because he seemed a little bit kind of anxious. But um, 
but it well, it, it, it it was worth yeah. the uh, the payoff for getting getting the kids involved. Backstage on the fringe, the podcast that goes behind the scenes at the Edinburgh Festival. If you like the podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you access your podcast from. You can contact me on Twitter via the handle at Backstage Fringe or by email backstageonthefringe at gmail.com. But for now, back to the podcast. Does it ever go really badly wrong? <sighs> no. Has no. ever gone really badly wrong? I mean, we're, we're, we... It's because there's... there's uh, this is going to sound weird, but there's more of us than there is of them, which is <laughs> which is which which is obviously not true. You know, normally that's what's scary about being on stage for an actor is that there's more of them than there is of of us. Yeah. Um, and you know, as a company, you kind of you support each other and everything. But oh, wow, there's this big kind of I sometimes call it the many-headed monster mm. of a crowd. That's why people are scared of public speaking. Um, but weirdly, we there's only ever individuals that speak. At a time, one at a time in us, and if anything, if we always will have each other's backs, and it's it's yeah, it's now. I mean, we are very mm. in a funny way with the time limit now. Yes. We're a little bit less, uh, <laughs> a little bit less patient, and if someone doesn't play ball, then actually both of us can now have absolute confidence that we can deal with it on our own. But we've had it, um, we've had it in the past where we've both had to sort of get involved and kind of. Yeah. Slightly kind of just guide someone away from the thing. But again, I mean, amazing if someone doesn't do it, you kind of go, I just haven't got time. Okay, you sit down and you stand up and it's someone else. But some, I suppose sometimes to, to, you know, to borrow a phrase, magic happens in that occasionally you get somebody... So I, it very rarely goes wrong. And if it does, we can, we can fix it. And it's a lovely stage to get to with David when we both realise it's been newer with the Extinction event, I think, because mm. it's just newer material, but to realise we're really on it. Um, which, which is an, and, and we actually tend to have to get to that place by trying it out in front of people. It's very hard well, to rehearse. Yeah, without, it's really difficult to do this without, without an audience there. And then, but but we, we're in that place now with the extinction event where we just where we're on it. And you're right. If someone did throw a curveball at us, they quite quickly realise that even though the versions of Simon and David that we're playing in that moment might seem a little discombobulated or be improvising, we're actually <laughs> yeah, yeah we're actually quite we can, we can we can sort of fix it. But occasionally you get someone who. You never know what it is with audience involvement. Someone who's coming up to present something. And the, just the way they do it, their timing is perfect, everything mm. is brilliant, and you couldn't have... If you directed this actor for, yeah. for months, you wouldn't have got a performance as good as that out of them. And then occasionally, what was the lovely moment we had at the end? There's a moment at the very end of The Vanishing Man where I ask an audience actually to speak for the first time as themselves. And we had that little girl mm. was this, uh, yeah, when it was we did on it on tour. tour. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and, and I ask a question about whether magic is real. And, and she, with all sincerity, sort of said, well, if magic is real, and I think it is, then of course Hugo Cedar could disappear from a, from a bridge. <laughs> sort of. She gave quite an impassioned speech. It was very, very beautiful. Yeah. And I then had to go, actually, that's not the takeaway from the play, so no, no, no. <laughs> sit down. Not you, sit down, you. <laughs> okay. But every now and again that happens, which is all the more rewarding for us, I think, yeah. because that's when the whole artifice of making it that way. And we, I mean, I think the, 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 the most unusual we ever had was our first day of tour, um, we were in Great Yarmouth, oh, yeah. and um, in this amazing old, old building, in Great Yarmouth, where they, they call it, it's like a hall that they turn into a theatre. And for some reason, clearly the front of house were were kept were caught napping um, because about halfway through, just someone uh, off the street sort of shambled in, walked up, um, <laughs> walked up the aisle, <laughs> and very loudly like stood 
uh, <laughs> with his head like chin on the stage and says, what's going on here then? Um, wow. And because of the nature of the show, we were able to very quickly go, oh no, you don't say that. You walk over there and you take that seat and you sit down and then he started to be going, no, 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 you don't say anything else. You sit down and you watch the show quietly. Good. And we moved on. And then he left, actually, after about a scene and apparently was loving his time and thanking everyone for, for having let him in. Uh, and um, we had one of our producers hadn't actually seen the show at that point, one of the producing team. And they asked us afterwards where the, where the budget for the stooge was. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that was a kind of rewarding moment of anarchy. Simon, is there a particular part of the show that you enjoy seeing David perform? <laughs> is there? This is like when this is like when they ask uh, Hillary if there's anything that she admires she about, about Trump. Trump. <laughs> bear in mind that we'll be coming back the other way. So. What? Oh, no, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I think I think in in the Vanishing Man certainly David's again. We, I want to be careful what we say, but David David's version of David goes on a slightly bigger journey, I suppose. And so there are moments that the... I mean, the, the whole idea of the... Again, one of the first conversations that David and I had when we were speaking about the show... you don't have anything, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer's no. Right. <laughs> no, we were talk, we, when we first had a conversation about The Vanishing Man, one of the leading questions we had was, what would it take us as two sceptics to believe in something supernatural, whatever that was? Um, and we had a lot of conversations about what would be involved in that. And... David's character has to has to play that out. It, it's much more. Whereas I just play myself in response and in reaction to that. You, I think, have to move from the character of David to a different, a different version of him. And it's always there's a couple of moments in the second half where I I'm out in the audience and just like the audience, I am allowed to be purely reactive. And I, I'm I'm a director and I'm a magician. I'm not an actor. David's a rather brilliant actor. So it's a lovely thing to be able to watch from that point of view and just go this is where the storytelling is. Yes, there's a wonderful thing in the back and forth that we have that I think is entertaining and fun to watch, but actually when it comes to where the heart of it is, I think it's those moments where David does, in a sense, start to vanish in front of people's eyes because it's such, yeah. a, such a good performance. David. Thanks. Good. <laughs> um, for me, interestingly, it's right... Yeah, about how, how, how good I am. Yeah. Um, no, for me, for uh, the bits that I like to see... Um, Simon, interesting. Right at the beginning of the Vanishing Man, I can tell really early on how the show's going to go based on uh, pretty much. Well, do you know? Quite often, it's in in the um, house you do your first line, really? which is you know I can tell you're feeling good and really on it um, if you know if you've kind of. Done that, and, and interesting. Even on tour, um, when you were you were uh, first used to the the piano playing with the the tune that we play i could tell when you were enjoying that that we were going to have a great we were going to have a great show um and yeah if you what happens the first uh, the first trick of the show that simon does the good trick the one that i <laughs> the one that i have never seen before um you know seeing him nimbly deal with deal with that um and how you know again because that's a bit of a, an area of kind of ad libbing and 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 seeing what you can say and when you're in control of your audience at that point and and when the moment that you get a a, a, a gasp which you sometimes do at that point is uh, is a moment of 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 joy and excitement for what we're going to do 
we're going to do next. I've been coming to the Fringe for 30 years and I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. How do you create, even though you've got two great pieces of work, how do you create an audience amid such a crowded marketplace? Well, um, I mean, we've, we've been very... Uh, well, first of all, we're very, very lucky to uh, meet and go into partnership with uh, Glynis Henderson Productions, um, who have been our amazing uh, producing team. Um, so Lucia and Katie and Paul and Glynis um, and Claudia. Um, and uh, they did a hell of a lot of amazing work before we got here. Um, obviously, um, the, the team at, at Chloe Nelkin, um as, as well, who, you know, relationship with the press. So we had quite a lot... And Rebecca Pitt, who designed our amazing posters. So you know, the the die the die was loaded a little bit in our favour before we arrived, um, because there was already a buzz out there in the the press. Lynn Gardner has been really supportive. Yeah. She came to see our show, Vanishing Man, really early on. Uh, in 2016, gave it a lovely review, and 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 it it's something about it still in her mind because she she often just refers to it whenever it's about she'll often just mention it in her roundups, which yeah. is great. And um, I mean the, Van the Vanishing Man has been around now for yeah two or three years, and it's it's never had the length of run like this, which is really exciting. It did it was supposed to only do one week at the vault, but then there was an opportunity for it to do a second, and it's toured around the southeast of England. So at least that's something where if you hear about it, you can go online, and there is there's stuff about it already where people go, this is really interesting. Um, and then the Extinction event is obviously the, the sister show to that. So we've used The Vanishing Man wherever possible to sort of promote that because it is a brand new, it is a brand new play and uh, it's a sort of new, new structure for us. And um, there's you know, a nice little routine that we're getting into now as well where I, I go in, in the mornings... Go, go out there and fly like, you know, like, every, like everyone else. Um, and... Um, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed doing that and, um, and sort of making the conversation about it. And there's something nice about uh, our shows are. I quite often say to people, you know, what are you looking for? What what is it? What's your what would be a good afternoon for you? What, what you would you want from a show? And you know, I can because we've got two. I can, I can go. All oh, right, okay. You're after something really contemporary and and exciting and about the yeah and about the future. Grand extinction event. All oh, right, you're some, some something nostalgic and kind of fun and and whimsical. I go, oh, a vanishing man. Okay, um, and uh, and and that's really fun. And and actually, I've stepped that up in the last couple of days because um, vanishing is is selling uh, better than extinction because it's got more of the more of the uh, the past behind it um, and uh, it's been really satisfying to see extinction i've just been leading on extinction and selling excelling that <laughs> it's it's a great flying technique because i think when a often it's here's who we are and here's what I've got to offer yeah. whereas if you're asking people what it is they're interested in and they say you know it's only it's only contemporary dance I'm here to see you're kind of stuck yeah, there well there's a great contemporary dance, dance. <laughs> <laughs> a dance of ideas I mean I've been very lucky with 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 Chloe and Tilly because uh, uh, it's been a sort of busy couple of years for me in London as well outside from this sort of stuff I mean um Killer Joe with Orlando Bloom that I've just directed is closing in the West End after a gorgeous run uh, next Saturday in a week's time and I've been at the Don Mar and I've been in the West End a couple of other times and things like that so it, it's nice that off the back of that it means that people have people do in a very flattering way want to sort of talk to me about what's happening next and it's a real thrill to be able to go well the last thing I did was yeah sort of southern gothic crime Tracy Letts horror show uh, what's next well these these yeah. two amazing new 
completely original shows about the nature of belief and magic that we're in. So it's been it's been lovely to use this as a platform to do something which I'm not that I'm not passionate about those things in London. I absolutely am, but to do something that's very much our our baby up here. You mentioned Lynn Gardner. Um, and Lynn had an interesting piece on the stage last week about the changing nature of criticism and this kind of almost democratisation of criticism that's happening. And, you know, I think more people should be leaving audience reviews because I think genuinely people will trust that a little bit more. Uh, if you had to choose between a really good review from a major publication and good word of mouth during your Edinburgh run, which would you pick? It's a tricky one, that, because, of course... Part of the reason we're here is because of a really good review yeah. in a national uh, newspaper from Lynn. <laughs> um, so you and know, anybody who wants to have a further life, I think, is a little is a little dependent on something like that. You know, yeah. in terms of raising the money and, and making. You know, I, I've been in theatre long enough to know that it is a <laughs> it's a commercial enterprise, I suppose. So whatever level, having that stamp of approval behind you, which will allow you much later on when the audience response has dwindled away on Twitter. You've still got that thing in black and white you can go, but remember, this was a thing that was... But, but I, I think you're absolutely right that it's about the timing. I think in the, in the short term, you want it to be the thing that people are talking about in the bars and, um, and, and to each other. And on social media, <laughs> um, please say everything. But yeah, the amount of times people have come up to me in the courtyard and gone, oh God, I love the show. It was great. And I go, do you, do you, do you understand the internet? <laughs> um, uh, you know, that's brilliant. And it was, it was lovely. I got a text yesterday from, from my wife who's a uh, friend of a friend of a friend was in a show across town um, who did do a roundup of shows and Vanishing Man was mentioned and yeah. and you know that was a nice thing to get the sense that oh we we've got some we've got some reach. The problem, the problem we have, I mean, it's not Harry Potter, of course, but that sort of idea. We what? have quite a few. Uh, <laughs> sure, I need to talk. To I you. thought the end. <laughs> I thought I, as Neville, I could. <laughs> I, I was going to get get the the big finale. What am I again? <laughs> anyway. Um, is that we've had quite a few uh, people tweeting and coming up to us and talking about sort of going, I really loved it, but I, I'm not going to tell anyone about it because I don't want to give away the secrets. And sort of people on people online going, I don't know what to, it's great, but I can't can't tell you too much. You go, okay, look, you no, no don't tell, no, don't give away the secrets. <laughs> but just tell that doesn't mean you need to be completely quiet. You can tell people that you really liked it without saying what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Guys, where and when can we see your shows? Uh, well, The Vanishing Man, both shows are, are part of the Pleasance season, so they're both at the Pleasance Courtyard. The Vanishing Man is at 2.10 every day, except Monday, actually. Uh, Monday the 13th, that is. So once we get past then, the rest of the festival, all the way to the 28th, at 2.10 in the afternoon, at the Pleasance 2. Uh, and the Extinction event is at Pleasance Above, at 3.40 in the afternoon, just half an hour after The Vanishing Man's finished. So so if you just want to spot us, we'll be running across the courtyard <laughs> like mad. It's fine. It's fine. We've got it down. We've got it down pat. I have a cup of tea, a little nap between the two. Yeah, it's fine. Read your Harry Potter. Guys, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed seeing both the shows. Um, thank you for talking to Backstage on the Fringe and good luck with the run. Thanks thank you. So thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. A new episode will be released shortly, so make sure to subscribe and you won't miss it. Um,